morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I am. Uh, I'm well. How are you? I am doing pretty well. I hear you've increased your caffeine consumption. I have. Yeah. I don't know. And I've heard. I've heard other people say the same thing. Um, not sure what it is, but I get a little boost in the morning, and then sometimes I just want to like a second kick, and I'll just go for go for some black coffee, and uh, that's what I'm doing this morning. Mm-hmm. There are worse drugs. Yeah, that's what I figure. You know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yesterday was uh, the first really nice day here in New England. And I was just like, look at the weather. And I stepped outside and I was like, I need to be outside for this. And I just messaged Joel in the morning. I was like, I'm going to spend most of today outside. So, you know, let me know if you need something. But it was really great. And I, and I realized I hadn't taken advantage of that, like freedom to do that kind of thing in a long time. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just nice to be like, wait a minute. If I want the day off, I can just take the day off. Great. <laughs> kind of one of the big reasons you're uh, doing this whole running your own company thing, right? Yeah. But I had kind of slipped into this habit of just like not really thinking about it. And I was like, man, I really wish I could just be outside. Wait a minute. I can just be outside. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Nice. So uh, what's new in your world these days? Oh, I will say before I get into work stuff, I did a, I did a crazy physical activity. <laughs> I have a friend who's always quite ambitious with... Uh, stuff like this he was like hey you want to go on a nice long uh nice long bike ride and we ended up doing 90 miles <laughs> jeez that is a lot yeah yeah i, um, I did 50 and it it hurt <laughs> i was fortunate that i wasn't actually too sore like the day following like i had decently good like bib shorts and enough gear where like i didn't have like a lot of like friction injuries or anything like that but i was just so tired like i got home that day and just like sat down and like within five minutes i collapsed on the couch for an hour woke up ate some dinner went to bed super early slept like 12 hours that night so i just was like at a major energy deficit i like being that that kind of tired though that feels so good oh yeah 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 it felt i mean i haven't slept that good in a long time we'd made a little mistake a little error in planning like with the weather i guess because we went out and it was like it it felt good, you know, going about 45 miles out and then stopped, ate some lunch, turned around and then realized we were like heading into a headwind and it was pretty flat, but elevation change kind of like peaked in the middle. So we had like a little bit of a gradual uphill for a while in a headwind and we went, we went pretty far out of the city. So like it gradually got like, you know, first ring suburbs, second ring suburbs. And then like we were in like cow pastures and stuff. It was like very very rural so by the end there was almost no trees lining this protected bike trail so we were just kind of exposed to whatever the wind wanted to do to us doing like super hard things like that is is fun i mean especially nice in retrospect um you know it was painful at the time but now i look back fondly on it so. totally that's great yeah yeah that's very cool yeah so that was that was fun uh work-wise let's see i made some let's see some solid progress on my minimum feature set that I'm working on for my first batch of customers. So I feel, feel pretty good about that. Got pretty well acquainted with the Google calendar API this week. Why is making APIs so difficult? Like why is nobody following the principle of least surprise? Hmm. (laughs) I, I mean, some people are good at it. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, making good stuff is hard. Good software yeah. is really challenging. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's because it like, I mean, you always start out like your API makes a lot of sense and then you got to add stuff to it. And I guess that's where things get messy is just the, like kind of the additive nature over time. That um, seems true. 
you know yeah like you can change a interface and people will just like have to f- figure out the new one and that's okay but if you're like a widely consumed api you're it's such a different story yeah they do this thing where there's you know documented attributes that you should expect in a response but if it's like a text field for example and it's blank or or null i guess they just exclude the key entirely from the payload maybe it's to save a few bytes but glad i caught that one early on <laughs> didn't, didn't end up with this like random like why is this failing to parse on this specific scenario you know um, mm-hmm. i imagine at their scale that kind of savings is worth it probably yeah yeah and they also have this is another funny thing there's like two ways to query calendar data there's like a an endpoint called like calendar list and then one called calendars both of them you can ask for one specific calendar by id but they return very different attributes like one has a very slimmed down set of things like there's some overlap between the two but <laughs> i just found that kind of amusing that sounds like classic yes <laughs> the good thing is i don't have too much to complain about about their api i was commiserating with one of my tiny seed batch mates and he's doing like a lot of metrics things and has just encountered a ton of difficulties like querying stripe data and stuff like that so i don't have too much to complain about at this point <laughs> you, uh, although if you're I'll building something on calendars i think you probably will <laughs> yes because <laughs> you know i dealt a fair amount with time zones with drip and it was of course always a headache i'm pretty impressed with the way time zones are like the time zone kind of facilities built into elixir it's funny to watch kind of how how the notion of time evolves in different programming languages and like ruby you can kind of tell like they started out with very naive way of representing time and then gradually layered on more things you know elixir like for a long time didn't have like in the core library didn't have like native time helpers they just kind of had like would represent times with in structs with like lists of you know numbers for the year and and month and day and stuff and then like gradually like they added kind of native date time handling and then there's the timex library which this seems to take like a lot of learnings that other programming languages have gotten wrong and like does it right out of the gate so um, i'm sure there's still going to be a lot of headaches around this just even like casting one a date from one time zone to another you know, it's all well documented. Like, here's here are the possible return types. It may be okay. It may just give you back a time that properly converted, or it may give you back this ambiguous date time, where you could assume that it's kind of this lower bound or this upper bound, depending on how you choose to interpret daylight savings shift or something like that. So, it tells you when there's ambiguity, and it gives you back something you can at least reason about. So, I just need to spend like a day or so, like in these types of like edge case scenarios where there's where there's like a daylight savings boundary what's the right one to choose and put a lot of thinking into that and then write some tests around it and then hopefully not have to think about it too much in the future because i've like you know put the time in (laughs) to to figure it out so what was his name from github zach somebody did like this talk about dealing with time and calendar when he was working on zach holman oh yeah zach holman yeah yeah i think for a while he was building a calendar and it seemed it seemed like he was really gotten to a dark. I mean, I feel like it broken mentally. <laughs> no. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah. Well, which makes me a little afraid that I'm just being still too naive. But I mean, eh. kind of have to go in bright eyed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. all I can do. And you've you've been down this road before, at least somewhat. So, 
I imagine won't be as surprising, perhaps. You're, you're grizzled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. How close are you, you think, to people using it? I'm keeping with the, the mode of building that I talked about last time, where like I have, I'm have i driving towards getting important initial features working, and they're still super ugly because I'm just trying to focus on the things that are important. So I don't know. I, I think optimistically, like like a few weeks out from meeting kind of the, the minimum feature set. But that's like I've, I've been having conversations this week with with the handful of people that I'm that are kind of committed to, to switching when it's ready. It's a relatively constrained set of features, which is nice. Like, I think I can I think I can get there within a few weeks. So that's that's what I'm driving towards. I did some some work this week too, like pouring over conversations I've had and like chat transcripts and stuff, trying to like really capture voice of the customer to kind of work on my first first landing page copy for this like i want to have like at least a even if it's not not a ton of copy i want to have something really compelling to kind of capture it when i do introduce it initially to the world and this is just something that i've been kind of punting on for a while which is part of the reason why i haven't fully put the name out there and and fully described it yet just because i need to i need to put that work in um it's going to be interesting to see how you feel about the pros and cons of the different approaches you've taken with like level and static kit, like the manifesto thing and like loss of early people versus like building something really fast and getting a prototype out there and this kind of like more stealthy approach. I'm, I'm curious to see how, how that all shakes out. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also just how you feel about it, like which one kind of suited you most or, or did what you were hoping the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're all viable and have different strengths and weaknesses. This time around, I'm really optimizing for get this in the hands of paying customers, like as the first step. I don't think I will regret that. You know, I think that will only that will only benefit me to have those at least, even if it's just a small group to begin with. And then I start pushing it publicly, like having that as a foundation, as opposed to sitting in vaporware land for a long time. It'll be good mentally. It'll be good strategically. I think so. I don't know. Totally. Yep. Yeah. And if you can find that kernel of an idea that people will pay for, I mean, you're, that's, I feel like the, everything is just built around that. And so if you do figure that out, then it's not downhill from there by any means, but at least there's, you're, you're rolling along. Yeah, totally. And I think this, this product by nature has a little bit of a viral loop built in. Like once people are using it, others will see that people are using it. By nature of using the product, it's kind of naturally getting at least exposure to other people, which is one of the things I really liked about when I was kind of vetting vetting what to build. And so that will kick in as soon as I can get people actually using this for real like that, that will kind of kick off that, um, that loop. So nice. Yeah. Cool. Anything else going on? Uh, that's, that's about it for me. Yeah. Okay. So I've been getting back into Twitter a little bit. I saw you tweet about uh, your two-year anniversary with Tuple or whatever, right? I did, yeah. Um, have you seen uh, Daniel Vassallo out there? He wrote a book about AWS, the good parts, and then grew a bunch of Twitter followers and then made a course about yeah. growing your Twitter following. As is the, <laughs> the classic so move. <laughs> I actually bought it because I was just curious like to see what, what he had to say. I had been kind of disconnected from Twitter for a while. I had been kind of creeping back in. And then I was like, you know, I, I feel like I want to, I do want to use this a little bit and try to be useful and interesting and, and perhaps like work on growing the follower count a little bit, but just also have like, there was, a, there's a lot of marketing benefit from it. And 
connection with people and it's just it's also just kind of fun like it's it's work it's marketing but it's it's like interesting and i like i like it so i've been dialing that back up a little bit and did a thread yesterday about us hitting our anniversary and letting people ask questions and just got a bunch of questions and wrote a bunch of answers and it was it was i really enjoyed it what was like the the best question you got asked does anything come to mind everyone wants to ask like what is your top regret like what do you wish you hadn't done what were your errors I think there's something about that question where people think it's new and fresh because it's like, well, ooh, what about the worst thing? But every time I see it, I'm like, uh, this question feels stale to me. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I was thinking like, this is good fodder for, you know, writing something. It's like, if I, if I do want to invest more effort in this particular idea, just saying like, okay, what are the, what are the questions? Because there were a bunch of repeated questions. It's like, okay, these are the things that people care about the most. People ask about the early days a lot. Like first hundred users, first paying customers, first whatever, how long to your first 1K? That might be useful. I mean, looking back on the tuple trajectory, you guys obviously had to invest, invest a lot of time into building your first version. So that was that was a thing because it's a quite a technical leap, right? Do you feel like that was is the most interesting part of the journey? Like what do you what do you think is the part where, where there's the most meat? Because I mean you guys kind of got got lift off pretty quickly once your product was out there i feel like the answer to a lot of this unfortunately is kind of like i don't know like i have like one sort of like data point i don't have a trend and so people like how should you you know validate a product and i'm like well this is what we did i have no idea if this is like a good general strategy or it was like we're the the fortunate benefactors of a series of circumstances beyond our control that's probably a mixed right who knows what the ratio is i guess i don't know if our approach is even useful to other people it worked but that doesn't mean it's repeatable it also doesn't mean it's optimal. Like it may have succeeded despite the fact that we picked a not great approach. I'm hoping to, in the future, and always, I guess, phrase this as like, this is what we did. And perhaps, you know, add, add this as an anecdote in your you know, pattern matching. But this is not like, here's how you grow a SaaS app from X to Y. Because we did it and it works. And that means it's, you know, the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a bit of discussion on in the Twitter sphere this week about I saw some just open discourse about this. Like I think Rob talked about it on his recent stars for the rest of us episode, kind of about like the danger of overgeneralizing or, or having (laughs) one major success and then like suddenly being the expert on all things related to (laughs) how to repeat what you've done, you know, Uh, which I don't think you've ever taken that approach, but I think that's a, that's something that happens a lot of times when people end up, I think succeeding at something, you know, it's kind of, I guess, Maybe it's human nature to think, to suddenly think you've got a lot of it kind of figured out in a general way. Right, exactly. Yes. And you know what other people should do too. Yeah. 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 It's a tempting uh, slope to slide down, I guess. I will try to avoid it. I think Rob, I saw Rob saying this, like if you've done it a few times, you have more of a sense that like, okay, I've I've learned some general principles with this, you know, one-ish major data point. It's like, I don't know, this is what we did, but who knows? It was interesting. There were questions where people were like, you know, how are you doing this? And like, my answer would be like, kind of poorly, like mediocrely. Like my answers to like some of these questions were not like, oh, we did this really smart, savvy thing. It was like, oh, we don't really do a good job of that, but it seems to have worked anyway. So I don't know. I think it's good to be starting those kinds of threads. And especially if you're, you know, if you're not an overgeneralizer, but you know where to call things out like that, like that's refreshing to see (laughs) when people who 
have been successful or are currently, you know, in a successful phase, say like admitting to the fact that some of this is just like, I don't know, maybe it's kind of despite, despite what we've uh, done in this area, you know? Um, Yeah, totally. There are a, a number of parts of the business where if you were like, asked me to like rate how we were doing or like talk about like, do you think there's an opportunity here? I would say absolutely. Like we were doing this thing so suboptimally. That's probably just always true. I mean, I see uh, Patrick Collison tweeting about Stripe and saying like, there's so much more that we need to do. Like it can be so much better in so many ways. It's like, okay, well, if, if he feels that about Stripe, then this must just be true about companies. It's just always not where you want to be if you have lofty ambitions and high standards and you just kind of, kind of can't get to done really. But that's okay. I think that's, it feels like human nature, right? We're not, you don't become the dominant species on the planet by being satisfied with what you have probably we have a pretty innate drive for more and you know better so i have other news too uh we made an offer to our first full-time developer and he accepted nice yes all right so his name is mikey pulaski uh, and he lives in paris and he has a ton of mac native mac os experience and had also created a couple paid products so he has like his own software one-man software company and basically realized like he really likes focusing on the programming but the sales and marketing piece is a little bit less exciting to him and so the idea of getting back to those roots uh, appealed he was one of the early candidates for this position that i was like most excited about we did a call he seemed awesome he paired with spencer and before the call with spencer he had built a really simple like tuple prototype before the interview like he had like gotten WebRTC working and like it built a simple screen sharing thing. And it was like, that is just so savvy. It's like, I, I, I re-implemented your product simply before this. Like it, it made him stand out like crazy, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like having kind of the entrepreneurial experience was a big, was a big plus for this? Like, do you think it's going to help, help him have the right mindset, I guess, approaching just development tasks? Yeah, I suspect so. I have this theory that taste is like kind of rare in the world like I, I think that's part of what leads to bad software being so common is that like it takes a little while to develop good taste for things and like to hold yourself to really high standards and like to like execute against that taste and, and build something great and when i was looking at his products even like the demo video on his website was good and i was like i was like this person has taste like he understands what good is um, and cares enough to put the hard work in to make it happen that stands out so much to me in in people's work i think that's part of why you're so good like your taste is good and you care enough to to make it as good as you want it to be but i I don't think that's that common weirdly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean everyone's got their zone where like this is the thing that i obsess over and then every then you know no one's has perfect evenly distributed strengths across the board right but like finding someone who's they're obsessive about the right details in their zone of genius right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. is probably kind of a key thing totally yeah so i'm pretty excited about that my goals like a month ago or so were like all right we need better qa testing and like more help on the mac app and both those things are now you know in the final stages which is just awesome I feel like the theme of this quarter has kind of been about scaling up to sort of meet the demand that has been coming in, getting processes in place. Like we needed 
needed to change things on support. We needed to add, add help in sales. We needed more development help. And like we've, we've sort of knocked out all those things now. And so I'm actually really excited about like what the next, like the rest of this year looks like. And the, the thing I've been thinking most is about sort of the theme is around investing. So we've been, there are a handful of things that people ask for that are really big projects, but they keep asking for them. And so like we can keep shipping the small things that some people want that, you know, are kind of good uh, or like are, are good, but you know, not, not major. I'm getting kind of tired of being like, yes, we totally agree. That's a really good idea. We want to do that. We agree it's important. It's just hard. And so we won't do it yet. It's like, all right, eventually you should shut up and just do the hard thing. We have to keep moving forward. Like we built a good product, but I want it to be way better. It can be way better. It's, it, I mean, it's, our taste is still better than the product. We, can, we know we can make something more awesome. So I want us to keep going. What does that look like? Does that mean potentially more staff, more like small te- independent teams working on multiple things in parallel? Or like, what does that, what does that look like, that reinvestment? Yeah, exactly. So like we, we have already, so more staff is kind of happening now. Um, adding a full-time person is a, a huge upgrade in total number of hours available. So before this, just the three of us were the full-timers. And so now we have more help in a bunch of areas like you and sales and um, full-time developer now. So I think we can push multiple projects forward at once. I think that will enable this, but I think also it's kind of like a mentality where it's like, do we want to keep doing the small, somewhat useful things? Or do we want to say, it's pretty good where it is. We don't need to keep making small incremental changes here as much as we need to be building the next major thing, as we need to be, like keep digging the moat, keep making our customers happy. I've been reading Bezos's um, shareholder letters, yeah, which are amazing. <laughs> I think whatever your perception of him is, I think will be shifted positively if you read his writing. Like he's a, a really clear thinker. Some of the stuff he says, I think, is just incredibly insightful. Uh, and it's all just there for free in the shareholder letters. And there you can even get like um, them compiled in like an ebook on Amazon.com. Go figure. <laughs> so it's inspiring to read. And they talk about their sort of core principles. Like they talk about experimenting and innovating. It's just like they think of Amazon as a, like an idea factory. They want to keep like just always be trying to make things newer and better. And he says, we have billions of dollars of failures and that will continue. We will keep having billions of dollars of failures. In fact, our failures should be getting bigger and bigger with time. Otherwise, we're not ambitious enough with them. I was thinking like, where's our failures? Like, I, I feel like, like we've had them. We've, we've shipped crap, like features that didn't work out so well or things that we later removed or things that we hoped would have moved the needle that didn't. Um, but I want us to kind of keep thinking along those lines. Mm, Got to be willing to take some risks, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. But you could then you're kind of in stasis and you're kind of you have you begin this slow decline when you're no longer willing to take those risks and other competitors are and other people will make your customers happy instead of you. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, now's probably not the time for you to start getting like protective and like focused inward. Like you have to kind of keep pushing the boundaries if you want to move the business forward and not just stay where you're at. Yeah, exactly. We weirdly enough, we're a couple of years in. I was thinking like the, the core product experience hasn't changed a lot in the last handful of months. Like we keep making some improvements around like of various kinds and like it's gotten better and people comment positively on the things we've shipped, but the core idea of the app and what it can do and what its constraints are have been somewhat static for a little while. And I think that's okay. Like we needed this, this time to kind of build up and deal with the scale and all that. But I think it's time to get back to like, 
when's the last time we revisited the major pieces of this app and like thought about them and said, are they as good as they can be? Are we giving people what they want? Do you guys as a founding team kind of know what those things are or do you need to go on a dreaming expedition and, and kind of think about that? Yeah, a little bit of both, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think there are a few things we hear over and over that we know are kind of weaknesses of the product. Like one example is we worked pretty hard to not have any Chrome on the screen. So like there's like when you have an active screen share going and you're sharing your screen, there's there's nothing on your screen. Everything is up in the menu bar. And so we've found a way to cram a decent amount of information in the menu bar. And if you pop open the app, you can see what the status of the call is. But people pretty regularly report like it's a little, it's almost too subtle. <laughs> like it's, I for, people say like, I forget if I'm sharing my screen sometimes or like I have to go check or I can't remember if my webcam is on. Um, and so it's like, we've done a nice job of keeping everything out of the way, but we maybe have gone, you know, a hundred percent of the way when we want to go like 95% of the way. There might be like a smart, savvy way we could, you know, have a little more information and, and tell people what the status is. And we hear this over and over again. It would be a pretty big change to suddenly have a persistent screen element that shows status. But that's the kind of thing that like a lot of people are telling us like, this doesn't quite work for me. Like it needs a little bit of UX help here. But that's the kind of interesting like invention that I think will keep us good and keep us making our customers more happy is like doing that innovation. Like how do you do this in a way that's not annoying? Like we could just throw a Zoom style giant status bar on your screen that blocks what's beneath it. But we know that's terrible and we don't want to do that. But that's the easy it's like that's the easy answer. So so what's the hard answer? What's the how do you do it better than that? Yeah. Those are the, some of the most exciting things to problem solve as as a product person. I mean, I recall just various instances of this over the years where like, okay, we know that this this thing that is very common, ubiquitous across like other platforms, like they're just people are obviously not obsessing over the details of this or they're not like paying really close attention to this. It's just it's just a kind of a thing like, I don't know, 80 percent of the stuff we do, you don't you don't like necessarily obsess over the details. It's just, you know, you just build because you a lot of stuff just kind of has to be built and maybe it's not always refined. So then when you identify an area where like I can actually we can put a, an outsized amount of time and attention on this part of it where everyone else is just kind of it's just throwaway interface for them. You know, um, that's really exciting. Yeah, I agree. That's where we get the chance to like improve the state of the art. I think there are th unsolved problems in remote pairing that just everyone has punted on knowingly or not that we're aware of and we have some ideas around and like we could innovate in a way and like be like no one has ever seen something like this before and like that to me that's the, the coolest idea i love that right and then i mean eventually you'll get to the place you'll come up with something really good <laughs> and then you'll start to see like zoom copying you <laughs> and that'll that'll be a day to celebrate you know pop a pop champagne bottle <laughs> yeah right exactly the trick you is know. not getting frustrated when that happens i think mm-hmm but seeing it, it really do need to take it as a compliment and and the fact and then know that like you're uh you know, if that were to happen, it's like, yeah, you're you're leading the state of the art on this. Um, and what else, you know, what other things can you tackle in that way? Right. Bezos talks about you can you have a choice as a company about what you want to obsess over. So you can be like product obsessed, you can be competition obsessed, or you can be customer obsessed. And he says the great thing about customers is they are always wonderfully dissatisfied. <laughs> yeah. I love like, that. Like no yeah. matter how much you make for them, no matter how much you build for them, they will always be you know, they'll always want more. They'll always want better. They'll always want cheaper. That's their, their theme is like customer obsession. Yeah. Of the options, it's the hardest one 
you'll never fully get there, but you can incrementally get closer, right? And that's probably why a lot of people, they don't opt for that because it's, instead, they just opt to maybe like, well, I'm just going to build what I perceive to be the perfect product or something. Uh, but if you're not really, if you're not chasing after what's optimal for your customers, then, I mean, eventually someone's going to beat you out. Who, who right. is? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I, I like this, I like this idea of just thinking like, it probably makes sense to pay some attention to the competition, but making the thing you're obsessed about be your customers and making them happy, that just seems like a long-term, over the long-term, how can that not be good for you? It seems like the score takes care of itself in that case. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm, that's good stuff. I like it. It's, I mean, it's something I'm thinking about for my new product. Like I'm trying to get a base level of functionality and like things that people expect out of a product that does that serves this need right but there is there are obviously lots of opportunities for differentiation and innovation and the key the challenge is like knowing which ones to pick but i think i have a good idea right now of like you know even for my first batch of customers i want it to be at least incrementally better in this important way like this piece one piece of interface i have in mind that's like it has come up from different angles Unlike if, if the experience were just, were just better in these few ways, like that would make a huge difference for, for both, for both parties using this interface. I'm being very vague. Sorry about that, but (laughs) it'll all, it'll all make sense later. It's just exciting to, to again, like invest a lot of time and energy into this piece that I feel like is kind of being left by the wayside by others. Nice. Sounds like opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. One last idea that um, Bezos talks about is this idea of investing in things that are not going to change so that will still, still be the same in like 10 years. And I've been asking myself, what does that look like for Tuple? And it's like, well, years from now, will anyone want the app to be slower? No. So speed, performance can be like, well, they want it to use more CPU or less. Like, there's, there's obvious answers to these questions. Will they want it to be more expensive or less expensive? Use it with more people or fewer people? There's pretty clear things that you can invest and know okay five years from now no one will be sad that the app is really fast or has gotten faster Uh, so i've been using that to kind of guide some of these as i'm thinking about what the what the next quarter looks like what the investment looks like what do we know or can we be pretty pretty darn sure will be true years from now so that we can happily and uh, almost safely invest now you could choose to say like you know we're going to invest you know 80 percent of our time and effort into just making like squeezing milliseconds shaving milliseconds off of the latency or whatever. I mean, if you spent all your time doing that, that would probably be the wrong choice. So I guess, how are you thinking about like time spent on the things that won't change versus time spent on taking bets and like trying to innovate and move the ball forward? Do you have a kind of heuristic in your head of like, is it 50, 50? Is it 80, 20? Like, so what are the two categories there of like investing in the things the things that you know won't change, like mm-hmm. making it faster versus mm-hmm. the things like that will really push the ball forward or like take a leap into innovation land, I guess. I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know yet. We'll see. I mean, both answers are pretty good, but if we just kept the same core experience and made it faster, uh, that feels like not enough, right? So it's there needs to be a balance between those things there's a path where we kind of just double down on what we have and what we do and do that bit better. But I think that's a bit too static for the long term. Like people are telling us like, I want you to solve this problem for me. I want to use this with people on Linux, that kind of thing. I want to use it with more people. 
and just just continuing to refine the existing thing, even if it's in ways that we know will be good long term, uh, feels a little dangerous to me. Well, that's and that's always the dance. This dance is figuring out given given the constraints you have in place today, what can you make happen, right? Uh, yes, because there's always there's always more things to do than people to do it at any given moment, probably. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apparently, if Patrick Paulson <laughs> says so, then yeah. Yep. Probably is true. We haven't done a retreat in a while. I do feel like I kind of need a little bit of space and time to do some like higher level thinking and like prioritize these these ideas. I feel like this is part of the CEO job that I'm not doing a great job of it of right now. Um, like a, the hiring stuff moved forward. Like I moved some some like strategic level things forward over the last couple of months. So that's good. Um, but I feel like w- the thing we need now is like, okay, our capabilities have now expanded. There's more revenue to throw at things. There's more people to throw at things. Uh, which things? What comes first? What are our bets? Where are we going to invest heavily and experiment and p- possibly fail? Yeah, yeah. But I'm, ex- I'm excited for that. That to me is like, I think this is kind of the, the, the most fun part, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what retreats are good for too. Figuring that kind of, sussing that kind of stuff out. Yeah, totally. I, I, getting in a different, some sort of different physical space would be really nice right now. Mm-hmm. Spend some time out. Spend some more time outdoors, Ben. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's too, it's it's easy to just get sucked into the day to day and looking at support mm-hmm. requests and reading the emails and sort of focusing on all the stuff that's already happening. Yeah. Uh, versus yep. like, okay, someone needs to make sure they're going for long walks and thinking deeply and <laughs> prioritizing lists and mm-hmm. figuring it out. So, yeah. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure I know who that someone is supposed to be. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. All right. Shall we wrap it? Let's wrap it. Notes of the show. Notes for the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. See ya.